kindergartners are having a great time in kids' church right now, which we rejoice in that being true. Um, my name's Ryan. If I haven't had a chance to meet you previously, I'm one of the pastors here at the Parks Church, and uh, we're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're a guest with us, I'd, I'd love a chance to meet you. If I uh, haven't had an opportunity to do so, would just um, be blessed. If you would come forward, I'll, I'll begin with the end in mind. If at the end of the service, when I invite you to come down uh, front and there's lots of tearing down happening all around, I'd love a chance to just say hello to you and get to know you personally. And uh, we are in a study in the book of Ephesians, um, continuing that. We began last week, and so if you missed last week, our first week in uh, this new study, I just invite you to go back to the uh, podcast, and um, you can find that on our website, theparkschurchmelissa.com, and you can uh, listen to sermons online. You can do that actually through the website if you're not a podcaster um, or don't know about that. And then you can also uh, download uh, the sermons if you want to take them with you in your, in your phone. Um, but we're going to continue in that. And as we began this journey, our prayer was that um, the theological richness of this book would um, just come to life for us. And really, um, it was kind of on display, not, by, not on purpose by any means, but um, as I uh, sort of joked at the end of last week, we got through the third verse. I, I had notes through seven, um, but just the richness of this text is so powerful that we, only, we just had to stop at verse three. And so we're picking back up uh, in verse four um, today, but our prayer for this book is that it would remind us of our identity in Christ who we are in Christ, and that we would grow in that. Um, we should not live as husbands and wives. We should live as husbands and wives in Christ. We should not live as sons or daughters, but sons and daughters in Christ. We should not live as co-workers or friends, but co-workers and friends in Christ. We should not live as teammates or coaches as just those things, but teammates and coaches in Christ. Every aspect of who we are, every identity that we hold, if you have a title, whatever it might be, from husband, father, son, sister, daughter, administrator, leader, CEO, whatever it might be, all of those things are found in Christ. That should be the root of our identity. And so Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus in this, this general region this, uh, of, uh, called Ephesus that we received this letter to. It was a circular letter that would kind of make its way around a few different churches. He wrote this letter, and the first three chapters of the letter are to instruct us and to remind us of who we are in Christ. And then out of that, because of who we are in Christ, then we live accordingly, verses, or chapters 4, 5, and 6. It's interesting, even in the structure of the letter, he doesn't begin as we would begin. We would begin, most likely, if we were meeting with a friend and we were talking about the things that, uh, the challenges that that friend might have and the hardships that they might have. I'm going to and, and just speak specifically to our new sixth graders right now, just so you have this one little thing. You walk into a new school, and at lunch, your friends are wondering, where are we supposed to sit? How are we supposed to do this? And you kind of get a little bit ostracized because you're 
the new man on campus. You're young, you're, you're smaller than everybody else, and nobody really wants to talk to you. And so you sit with that friend, and then you end up having this conversation. And what are you going to most likely do? You're going to start talking about how it is that we can make friends and how it is that we could find ourselves at the right lunch table or do whatever it is. that We're going to go to practical things, steps that we can take to solve our problem. That's not the way that God does things, and that's not the way this letter is written, and it's the way that we should look at our lives first. The right way to do this is to remind your friend, are you a Christian? Do you know Christ? then do you know that you have been welcomed to the table of Almighty God? And so no matter where you sit today at lunch, you are seen as adopted and loved. And so who cares where we sit? That's how you solve the world's problems. You remember who you are in Christ. And because of that, then we live out in certain ways. And so Paul began with this identity foundation in the first few verses, and it was read, Ryan read for us just the continuing of this. And so I'm going to pick up in, in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We talked about last week that we have been blessed with everything. There is nothing that we need that we do not possess in Christ. And that's why he says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He directs our attention, our focus should reside in that place, that future place. Yes, this life is hard. There is, it is not as things should be. We remember that all the time. Every day we wake up, more than likely, if you're like me, you go throughout your day and there's some reminder that things are not as they should be. Things are broken. But we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so how have we been blessed? That's the question of verse 4 that Paul gets to. We've been blessed with Christ in every spiritual blessing because he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because we have been chosen by God. So often I hear about the challenges and these pains that I just referenced, the the monotony of life. We're about to get into it on Tuesday morning. All of uh, us that have uh, students in school or are students in school, we're going to be reminded that we get up, we get dressed. We go to school, we go through whatever our you know, classes are, we come home, we get, it just is on repeat, wash, rinse, repeat, and it's just like sometimes we wonder, thankfully we get those little things called weekends, but even that, we just get in these rhythm, the rhythms, the, the monotony, and it can cause us to lose heart. And we might even be tempted to, to, to despair, to just complete despair that, man, this life is worthless. What is it all for? Why am I even here? Those big questions that you probably have rarely voiced to another, but are in your soul. And a cure for that despair is to remember that you were chosen and you have a great future. And that future is not contingent upon you. This goes back a couple years ago. I read this story. It's not, I don't know the person personally, but it's a pastor that I uh, know of, and, and he shared a little bit of a testimony. 
But there was a little girl, and she had very troubled home life, very troubled uh, beginnings in her life. And so um, ultimately, she was put up for adoption because of the situation that was going on in her life and her home life not being a healthy place for her. And so she was put up for adoption. She found herself living with another family. And in that family, she was frequently left out of family events. Um, she would um, uh, have, uh, you know, outbursts of, of uh, you know, behavioral outbursts and different things. And so because of her poor behavior, this family that she was living with would sort of leave her out. It was her punishment to be, you know, sent to her room and sort of left out. And eventually that family determined that they couldn't handle her. She was just too hard on them. There was just too many troubles and trials that, the, that she brought in their, in their life. And so unfortunately they they gave her up for a second time to be adopted, and she was without a family. And so her behavioral issues continued, and she was ultimately, though, adopted by this new family. And this new family that she was adopted into began to plan a, a trip to go to Disney World. And so as the trip grew closer and closer over time, she began to have more and even stronger and greater outbursts. Her behavior got worse and worse, and worse, and worse. And so one evening, very, very near to the beginning of the trip, when they were about to depart for the trip, she's had just a terrible uh, evening, and so she's sent to her room, and the father relays that he went into her room, and she begins, he begins to talk to her. And he, he, he began to realize through just this conversation that the outburst and all that she was doing, she was essentially trying to predict the behavior she had learned that if she did this, that it would lead to. And so the only sense of, of um, regularity in her life was, if I behave this way, I know what will happen to me. And that was more peaceful than her, for her to not know. And so she was doing this essentially thinking she was going to be left out of the trip to Disney World. And as the father understood this and he internalized it, he looked his daughters in the eyes and he says, you're not going to Disney World because you've behaved well. You're going to Disney World because you're mine. That's the gospel, friends. That's good news. Our identity, who we are. We have been blessed in Christ. We have been adopted. And it isn't contingent upon what we do or did. It isn't based on all of our accomplishments. It's not based on our ability to get things right or to clean ourselves up or to say, I can do this. No, it says here in the text, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. We were blessed in Christ before time began. And we have security in the future that is not bound by any time because we were chosen before time began, even as He chose us before the foundation of the world. If you're in Christ today, God chose to save you before He spoke in Genesis 1 the world into existence. Yeah, you know what that means? He chose us before the fall, before we were born into sin. It has nothing to do with us. Salvation isn't contingent upon your ability to get things right. It is contingent upon God's love for you. We talk often about this free gift of God, of grace. And when we say free, it's not free in the sense of what it costs. We'll get to that in a moment. It's free because it has nothing to do with us. 
You're here today because of what God has done, his love for you. And guess what? If you're here today and you have not been converted, you haven't yet believed in Christ, well, you are hearing the good news of the gospel today, and God can redeem that, and you are here for a reason. We so often, when we think about God and our relationship, we look at ourselves, and we don't look at the big God of heaven who says, I will choose you, I will adopt you as my son and my daughter, not based on anything that you can do, but purely based on and rooted in my love. And that's what he says as he continues, even in verse uh, uh, 4 and continuing into 5, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Adoption. This was no cosmic accident. No, it was because it was God's love and his will to adopt you as a son, according to his good will. Even in this, it says that he chose us in his love, not in our love, in his love, based on his good will. Again, we sometimes get that confused and we think about our love for God or our will towards God. We need to remember that he adopted us because of his love for us. And as it says, it was done through Jesus Christ. You know, Colossians 1, verses 16 and 18, I quoted this last week as well, I believe. For him, by all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So often we speak of and we think about God speaking the world into existence, and he did speak the world into existence, but he did all of that through the power of Christ. When we think about our Trinitarian theology, and that's a very complex discussion, but it was through Christ and it was for Christ that the world was created. Everything that we see was created through his power and for him, it says. And he is before all things, he continues in verse 17, and in him all things hold together. It is the power of Christ, the same power that allowed Jesus to take up his life again on Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday, is the same power that allows him to hold the universe together. So everything that exists was created through him and for him. And you know what else that includes? You and I. And not just our physical bodies that we were created in through him and for him, but spiritually our souls were made alive through Christ for Christ. Through his powerful work on the cross, what he did on the cross, he established us. He was the first to conquer death. And so we who have been made alive in Christ were created, were chosen by him, in him, and for him. Everything in our lives we owe to Christ, which is why. That identity that I spoke of, it cannot be missed. If you're a Christian, it is everything. Everything that we do should be rooted in that. Now, this is really good news, I said. Why is it such good news? Because the God who chose you before time existed will not allow the effects of time to thwart 
His purposes for your life. As we go throughout our day and we face the brokenness and the challenges and the pain, what are we tempted to believe so often? What does the enemy whisper in our ear? You're not good enough. You're not loved. You must not understand. You don't know. You don't think rightly. All of these lies are told to us. There's no way that God could love you. If, if God saw what you were doing in this moment, there's no way. Well, guess what? God does see. And God saw it all before he ever created the world. And even in that moment when he saw you sin, he knew that he was going to adopt you as his son or his daughter. You are not going to Disney World because of what you do. You're going because you're his son. You're his daughter. You've been adopted. Now, some of us might be tempted to think, wow, well, that's really good news because I can go do whatever I want. Some of us have tried that. Paul would say, should we sin that grace may abound? And he said no in the strongest language that he could say. The strongest language that he would say, and it'd be included in the Bible. <laughs> no. No, why did he choose us? Let's continue this. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. To the praise of his glorious grace. He chose us so that he could sanctify us. Verse 4, if we go back, he kind of repeat, he led on to this, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Why did he do this? He did this so that we could be made into what we talked about last week, the saints that we are. We don't go and live life filled with sin so that grace can abound. No, we live a life that brings praise and honor to God because of what he has done. God's word says that you were chosen and you would be made holy. He chose us that we would be adopted. Do you know that in the Old Testament, Father, the word Father is refer, used to refer to God only 14 times. And in those times, the word is used when he says Father, when the Bible says Father in the Old Testament, it is referring to the father of a nation. We might refer to George Washington as one of our forefathers. And so that's the way that the word Father is re referred to and used in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus, when he is speaking, he referred to God as Father more than 60 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in every sense that he used that word, every time he used the word Abba, the personal term, Jesus called God the Father, Dad. And so when he says that we have been adopted as sons and daughters, we have been given a heavenly father, dad, who loves us. And he did that according to his will to the praise of his glorious grace so that we might follow him. So we might bring honor and glory to him. Again, some of us, if you had an earthly father worthy of emulation, we praise God for that. 
And you might think of your dad and you might say, I want to bring honor and glory to his name. I want to make sure that our family name is, continues in this, this sort of being revered for what it is. And we think of these things in earthly terms. And that's okay to want to honor your father. It's a, it's a, it's a commandment to honor your father and your mother. It's okay to want to do that. But how much more should we want to bring honor and praise and glory to our heavenly Father who has adopted us and called us sons and daughters based nothing upon what we can do? We should live for that. That should be our aim. That is why one historical document that was used to train children asked the very first question, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We were created. We were adopted. We were chosen so that we could glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So he continues as he talks about this glory and why. In verse 7 he says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. We were chosen to be redeemed. In Him we have redemption. What is redemption? It's a big word. Sometimes, again, can be confusing for us to understand exactly what redemption means. I remember the story was uh, told by Dr. Hughes in one of his um, theological papers. He talked about the story of this young boy who he and his dad, they made a model boat. And as they made this model boat, they put this boat, he lived on a lake, and so they wanted to, he was just fascinated by sailing and just loved the idea of being out on the water. So dad took him and they made a model boat and they set the boat in to set sail. And so the boat would go, and it usually would sail, kind of just stay close to the shore, and so the boy would put it in the lake, it would sail around, he'd have some fun, he'd take it back in, and it was ultimately his prized possession. But one day he puts the boat into the water, and the wind just kind of quickly, uh, a gust came, and the boat sailed out into the middle of the lake, and out of sight, he couldn't see the boat any longer, and so the boy, he ran inside to his dad, he's in tears, you can imagine moms and dads, just your children in tears over the toy that has been lost, his prized possession, and so he's... Just despondent. And so every day, though, he goes down to the lake. He's thinking, perhaps the wind will blow it back. And so he goes and he looks for it. He never finds the boat. He's looking for the boat over and over again. Finally, he's in town and he sees the boat sitting in the toy, toy store window. And he runs in and he tells the toy, toy store owner, that's my boat. And he tried to claim possession of it. And he explained how he and his dad had made it. And the toy store owner said, hey, I paid this fisherman for it. It's mine. And so... The boy decided, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to work and I'm going to earn enough money to buy my boat. And so he toiled and labored and he did all he could to buy the boat. And ultimately he went and he paid the money to the toy store owner and he purchased the boat. And he exclaimed out loud, you are twice mine. Once I created you and then I bought you. That's what God says of us. Once I created you and then I bought you. Redemption is the purchase. We talk about that free grace, what we have received, but it cost God. He had to redeem us. And what did it cost Him? It says that we have redemption. We were purchased through His blood, through the blood of Christ. Redemption is paying the price, and the price for our souls was Jesus' own blood. 
First Peter 1 says it this way, knowing that you were ransomed, you could insert redeemed there, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus paid for our redemption. He bought us with his shed blood. He chose us, he created us, and then he redeemed us. We have redemption. If that does not inspire, does not call you to be and to live in that identity so that you would be holy and blameless before him, I'm not sure what would. What Jesus has done for us. He continues in talking about what we have in Christ. We have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses. Do you ever have trouble thinking God could forgive you? Some of us have sins that have lingered for years and years, if not decades. And we wonder to ourselves, could God forgive me of this or that? Only you know, more than likely, those are the types of things that we think to ourselves, there's no way that even God knows about this. But that's not the truth. The truth is God does know, and you don't have to wonder if God would forgive you of that. Let me tell you and declare to you once and for all, brothers and sisters, through Christ, you have redemption through his once shed blood for all time that led to forgiveness of all sin. There is nothing hidden from him. There is nothing that would cause him to withhold forgiveness from you. If you have been adopted as his son or his daughter, you have been forgiven. There is nothing outside of his forgiveness. We've probably asked the question, how could God allow that murderer on death row to enter into his presence, to be converted, to be a believer, to get into heaven? We think about that as we've talked about our faith. Our problem there is that we're trying to make God like us because, no, we would not let that guy into heaven. But it should allow us to remember and just see a sort of shift our focus to see the smallness of our minds and the way we think of things. And this text, which is big and challenging and just glorious and all-powerful, it should remind us that we are not God. We have a big God who, yes, can forgive all things and through Christ has forgiven all sins once and for all. Don't make God like you. Praise God that he has forgiven you. He has forgiven you completely. And once again, that's not based upon your worthiness of forgiveness. He has forgiven us based upon his love through Jesus Christ, redemption through his blood. God is rich. His grace is rich. He owns it all. And what he possesses most, if there was one thing that he could say, I've got all of it, it's grace. He's got more grace to throw around than Jerry Jones has nickels. <laughs> if you're old enough, you remember the DuckTales and you remember Uncle Scrooge just diving in and just swimming in his gold. Some of you are too old to remember that. Some of you are too young. I'm right there in the middle with you, okay? 
I remember that. Cinnamon Toast Crunch and DuckTales. Anyhow, I got off. That's the grace that God has, that He possesses. And His forgiveness cannot be measured. He's taken our sins, and these are all from the Word of God. He's thrown them as far as the east is from the west. He's made them like the morning mist that disappears in a moment. He's taken our sins and hurled them into the depths of the sea. He's taken our sin and forgotten them forever and ever. You, if you are in Christ... If you have been redeemed, you are totally forgiven. It is complete. It is finished. Jesus said it. He said, it is finished. Do not, dear ones, let the enemy tell you any differently because he does not know. God is the speaker of truth, and you have been forgiven. He continues, we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then he says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God grants us wisdom and discernment. Sometimes it's, it's mis, kind of read here because of where the comma lies in our English translations, and we begin to think the riches of, he, of his grace are lavished upon us. And that is true, but what he's speaking, the lavished upon us is wisdom and insight to make known to us the mystery of God, that we are able to grow in wisdom and become more wise about who God is, that we can know God. If you're looking for a book to read, by the way, J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. I encourage every believer to read it. The J.I., he just, it, uh, getting off track here, I get a little excited. Dr. Packer, he, he explains and just opens up the beauty of the fact that we can know God, that it's possible for us. But he showers, he lavishes upon us wisdom and insight. This is why, just as a word of testament, my grandfather was not Ivy League educated. He was not in the world standards considered to be knowledgeable or an expert necessarily in anything, but he was wise. And many of you can think of family members, and some of you, I look out in the room and I think of you as wise. Why? What is the source of your wisdom? It's not your schooling. It's the fact that God has lavished upon you an ability to know Him and to explain Him and to reveal Him the mystery of who He is. And so we are able to grow in wisdom and understand God. And we can rightly live in this identity of ours as Christians, as redeemed people, because through our redemption, God gives us the ability to see things as they truly are. That's the end. We're able to see life for the things that they truly are. Back to my sixth graders. The reason that that wise sixth grader might be able to explain to his friend that you don't need to worry about who you get to sit with at the lunch table because you've been adopted as a son of God and you have that is because he's grown in the wisdom of who God is. That's not worldly wisdom. That's not wisdom that's going to be taught to him in any other place but his home and the church through the word of God. We grow in wisdom. And guess what all of us would do? If you happen to overhear that sixth grader saying that before this morning, I'm praying they'll all quote me tomorrow or Tuesday whenever they show up. But before that, if you were a teacher sort of wandering the lunch tables and you heard that young sixth grader explain that, what would you think to yourself, teachers? This man knows God. He is wise beyond his year. You would be ecstatic over that 
Because you would see that there's a young man or a young woman who understands who God is. And what is the source of that wisdom? It's God himself. He grants us the ability through his word to grow in wisdom and insight. I'm almost done. Verses 9 and 10. He says that he lavishes upon us all wisdom and insight. And verse 9 says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We can live out the identity that we have in Christ and we can live knowing our future is secure because God has promised us that. That he will secure us to the end. That we have a future that is bright according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Every tongue shall confess and every knee will bow to Christ. One day, everything will be set right. As God's children, we have this full picture of the mystery of life. We don't understand sometimes why things happen. I wish I could tell you every detail and explain away every challenge and pain you have, and I can't. All I can say is that this world is broken. And periodically, I might be able to grant just a little bit more insight than that, but for the most part, we don't understand. But what we do know, God has granted us, through His mercy and grace, a picture of the end of things. We know the future. We know how things will end, and that is the mystery of God's will, that we have been revealed that, to know that one day God will unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. There is a time coming when everything that exists, nothing will be out of place. There will be no brokenness. And everything that exists will sit under the headship of Christ. He will rule. He will sit on his throne and we will be with him. All things in heaven and all things on earth will be subject to Jesus Christ. This is the time that we long for. And as redeemed people, as chosen, adopted people, everything that we do in life should be based upon that future day that is our hope, that is our joy, that is the source of how we live every moment of this life until that day comes. Let's pray for it to come quickly. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this truth Lord, I just thank you for the richness of your word. You've set before us a table full of good food in these six or seven verses. Holy Spirit, you know we've tried to set this table, tried to present this, just lift you up. And I ask now that you would allow us to take it in to just allow your truth to make its way into our hearts and our souls. 
Lord, I continue the prayer of last week that we would be a people who live in accordance with your word. Help us to remember our redemption. Protect us from the enemy when he tries to convince us that our sins surely must not be forgiven. Help us to live as wise people, growing in wisdom of your word and the knowledge of who you are, God. I thank you, Jesus, that the words that we so often sing in this place, that you are the one who hold us fast. It's not based upon our grip on you that we are secure and that our future is bright, but it is your grip on us, your love for us, your grace and your mercy. So I pray these dear brothers and sisters would live knowing that, live as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We need your help to do that, Lord. We're going to go out into the world in just a few moments. And everything is going to begin to once again come against us. So we need you, Lord. Help us to remain vigilant and constantly aware of who we are in you. Let us live for you, for our good, and for your glory. We love you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.